Sometimes the worlds collide and two people not only find each other, but also speak the same language. The language that Charles Roch and Eleanor Holcroft speak is cocktail creation. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. Did you know you can really support us by purchasing Lush Life t-shirts for the whole family? Check out all our merch at alushlifemanual.com backslash merch. And now back to Charles and Eleanor, who from the depths of their underground kitchen have concocted jam donut Negronis, chicken dumpling martinis, and cookie dough old fashions, and that's just the beginning. Their bar consultancy company, Liquid Intellect, has created cocktails and menus for brands and bars all over the world. Today, they're here with me to reveal how they learned to speak cocktail. Um, so I was born just outside of Birmingham. So I've lived lived in like Tamworth for pretty much my whole life before moving to London. All right. And tell me a little bit about your, uh, your childhood. So um, my mom and dad have... Um, have always been involved in the hospitality industry so it's been a really natural progression for me to just I, can, I guess kind of be involved with that as well um, so my dad used to own like a pub and then a restaurant and a bar so it was kind of I was always grown up with going to the pub after school and waiting around there and I remember pulling a pint at like six years old I mean, it's not what kind of restaurant <laughs> was it so um, the first place he opened was like a real country pub so I remember it was like still in the days where people could uh, smoke in pubs. Um, there was loads of dogs in there. It was like a proper old man's cozy little place. Um, and then he went on to open an Italian restaurant um, and then a more like kind of gastro pub cocktail bar. Was he the chef as well? No, so he's never, ever worked in the restaurant a day in his life. He's there every day just overseeing it, but he's very much a business owner, not a hospitality worker so he let you play but, behind the bar yeah he probably shouldn't have but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I always remember kind of going there after after um, school and I was always really actually interested in um, more the food side of it so I remember like spending a lot of my childhood in the kitchen at the Italian restaurant and kind of pestering the chefs and then I started working there when I was a teenager and I would always be like hovering around and trying to like try the food and yeah I was, kind of always thought I would progress more into the food side and then I think as I as I got older I just naturally I suppose got into drinking and trying cocktails and I just found that was where I was more comfortable. Why or what was it about the kitchen and the food that interested you? Uh, I've always been really interested in cooking I think it was I especially like back I think like 15 years ago I think chefs always felt like for me as a child it always seemed that chefs were like far more creative and I guess in the Midlands where with bars I was only exposed to kind of like pubs and like wine drinkers and maybe the basic gin and tonics but there was never really like a massive creative process behind drinks I didn't really feel then so it was just exciting seeing they would always like come to my dad with a different like dish every day and they would change the specials and I would always be like trying them and yeah, I remember always just being really excited by it. So I guess that was your first introduction to flavor. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Like, my mum's always been a really good cook, and like, I always remember as a child cooking alongside her. Um, but then, yeah, I think I started to experience flavor more, especially with Italian cooking. Um, it's something I'm still really, really passionate about now. But yeah, the flavors of Italian food. And, and so then you said that as you got older, you started to enjoy the drinking side of it. Yeah, so I was... Um, I went to sixth form, like I did my A-levels, and I just never really had a big drive to go to university. I think I was always really unsure of what I wanted to do. Um, and I saw kind of this hospitality industry, um, and at the time I was finishing my A-levels, my dad um, brought a like gastro pub kind of cocktail bar um, place not, not far from where I was living. Um, and I just kind of... I thought about working there and I wasn't really too sure whether like working for your dad was the was the right thing to do um but I just I kind of fell into working there and, and loved it and just grew grew a passion for that industry from there I think and what were you doing first there 
So first I was just going to be a waitressing because I'd never worked in a bar. I'd never really, I didn't know what I was doing behind the bar. Um, and I remember the, the two bar managers there at the time were um, like getting me involved in like the trainings and stuff like that and just helping out. I was like really involved from day one of the project from it being built and stuff. So it was really nice to see it grow. And I think I was just really excited about it opening. Um, and then they gave me a few shifts on the bar and I just, yeah, started working on the bar pretty much straight away then. What kind of drinks were they making at the bar? Um, so for the area it was in, I guess it was it was quite uh, quite a new thing for the area. Like it, it, it was a really old um, pub before. And so there was a kind of weird transition of getting people in the area used to there being a new cocktail bar there and there being like a quite a craft offering of, of, of what we did. Um, but it would be like your classic cocktails. Like they were pretty, pretty basic for the Midlands, but it gave me a good ground knowledge and gave me the excitement to like play around with like a couple of infusions and homemade ingredients. And so you're doing, you're doing homemade stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing little, little bits and bobs, um, more just kind of out of like learning and getting a little bit creative. And did you think, ah, wait, this is cooking. You know, yeah, I'm using so my cooking. I, yeah, I would see it in kind of a cooking way, like just look, you like, like you say, like making like jams or infusions and stuff like that. It would be kind of using the the cooking behind it. Like in the in the afternoons, if it was quiet, like I'd sometimes pop into the kitchen and get the chefs to help me make something. Or so yeah, I, I found it really exciting doing stuff like that. All right, now you, Charles. Um, Where did you grow up? <laughs> so I was born over in West London. Um, but when I was quite young, my parents split up and we moved, me and my mum moved to the Midlands um, to just be closer to family. And then just by natural progression, I guess, I went to university in Leicester to be close to my family, um, trained to be an architect. And whilst I was there, kind of using hospitality as a bit of extra money and um, just fell in love with, with making drinks. But before that, I was working in pubs and and nightclubs in my like hometown. Um, and that was pre-university. That was pre-university, yeah. So you'd already gotten used to the whole bar scene. Yeah, I mean, before it, it you it even was, went to uh, university. Um, I guess my first hospitality experience was like fifteen, and I was working in an Italian restaurant. And the chef was just a crazy person. He like used to throw knives. He would shout at you. Um, and I remember um, one of the one of the owners who was she was very old. She was the mother of the chef, and um, she was this tiny little Italian lady, like couldn't have been more than like five foot, like really really short. And she was like so feisty, and she just used to walk around the restaurant. And if you were doing anything wrong, she would just be on you straight away. Were you like, I am getting out of the kitchen and behind the bar? Yeah. Well, <laughs> at this point, I was only fifteen, so I wasn't allowed to make alcoholic drinks and um, I remember I went into the kitchen to pick up some plates she had gone in before me she picked up these plates from the hot plate and went into the restaurant I came over picked up these plates and they were really hot and I dropped them and the food smashed on the floor that was my last day yeah well that's (laughs) that's kind of what ended my so I the the chef went crazy at me I left and um I kind of said goodbye to hospitality for a little while and I went and worked in a garden centre. You're like, it's so not very hospitable, this yeah, hospitality. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I think I was just like really overwhelmed by it all. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it would be really easy as a 15-year-old, as a kind of just mm-hmm. looking for some extra pocket money. And um, You I thought plants just, can't talk back, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of just like really overwhelmed by just how much to service there was and, and how, you know just the smallest little things would make a difference and how frustrated the owners would get at my uh, novice kind of outlook on hospitality. So once I'd kind of been working in a garden centre for a little while, my mum got me a job at a pub, at the pub that where her and my stepdad met. Um, so it was quite a, like, I don't know, like a bit of a legacy, that pub, I guess. Um, and when I started working there, it was kind of just pulling pints for locals and I was still actually underage at this point I was 17 so I was getting paid like cash for a few hours work on a Friday and Saturday and I just kind of got to know the locals and like it was really like 
it was just an eye-opening experience it was just like something that I'd never really experienced and I could get to know people and you know I, I, I would pour their pint as they were walking through the door because I knew what they would order and it was just a really nice environment and that pub actually owned a club in the in the city so just before I turned 18 they said it was one Friday night they offered me um, taxi fare and some extra money to go and work at the nightclub because they were short-staffed one night and I went and worked there and I just had the most fun mm-hmm. and I was just drinking on shift I was uh, <laughs> not that you're promoting was, drinking on shift yeah <laughs> right. exactly right yeah um, but you know it was just a whole different world I was exposed to I, I met so many people that night that then went on to become really good friends with um, the staff there were really good fun and just really amazing we all went from McDonald's after work and it was just like a, a community that I'd never really been a part of before um, and I think I just that was why I fell in love because it was you were under so much pressure and it was so busy that you were just forced to create bonds with team members that you wouldn't necessarily form in a garden centre for example mm-hmm. um, and it was just a really uh, really interesting working environment and I just loved it but at that time were you thinking oh well, this is fun, but I'm actually going to be an architect. Exactly, yeah. So, like, my parents had always been quite um, quite fond of the idea of me going on and furthering my education. And I think because my, my stepdad and my mum hadn't done that, my mum had had me very, very young. My stepdad, he was in farming and, um, like, hands-on kind mm. of groundworks, that sort of thing. So I think like he was like a 45-year-old man with back problems and you know his knees were going and he said he just wanted something better mm-hmm. for me. He wanted me to go on and do something that you know I can actually make a career out of and make some money and, and enjoy my life a little bit. So they were always quite like fond of me going to university and like pushing myself. <laughs> and um, I was reasonably academic at school. I did well in my grades and stuff. So you know the, I remember I sat in... A careers meeting when I was 18 and um, I did the I answered the questions and the guy said yeah I think you should be an architect and I was like well okay I'll do that then <laughs> yeah it was kind of just like you know I didn't really I always had a passion for art I was really good at art mm-hmm. um, so you already had that sensibility yeah I was I was really good at drawing um, and, and making models mm-hmm. I loved making like three dimensional like models of stuff um, Lego, one mm-hmm. of the big one of the big uh, inspirations in my childhood, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just always felt very creative, mm-hmm. and I found the the science of of like physics very interesting as well, and chemistry, biology I couldn't care less about. I felt so bored by it all, um, which is ironic because that's probably one of the things we use the most of now, alongside chemistry, of course, but. Um, so yeah, I kind of that's just how I progressed into into architecture, mm-hmm. and I went and studied in Leicester. And again, I I picked up a job in an Irish pub um, when I first got there, which was just awful. People having fights every day. And, oh boy! Yeah, throwing pint glasses over the bar. It was literally gross. Um, so we once I I was working there on one St Patrick's Day, and it was really busy, and um, one of the bar managers of a bar in Leicester that I'd sort of cut my teeth in he came in and said if you can be this happy and this upbeat on literally the worst busiest day of the year like come come work for me so I went and had an interview with him he asked me how I made a mojito and um, the only experience I'd ever had with cocktails was using the funkin pouches the pre-mixed pouches and I said well you you pour it out of the, the pouch. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and he, he, he hired me, which was, which was quite cool. Did you say you add rum to the pouch? No, no, I just no, said you, you just pour use the pouch. The pouch. Yeah, you pour oh. the pouch, yeah. So uh-huh. that was kind of my only experience with mojitos. It was just pouring He really out trusted you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just, uh, well, I was obviously a lot younger, uh-huh. obviously a lot fitter, and just quite charismatic I think when I was 18 so he just hired me on the basis of me mm-hmm. being like a bit of a lad I think and um, I started working there and within a few months I was 
you know, t- taking the most money on a Friday and Saturday night. I was like super fast. I was just super keen and eager to learn. And the um, bar manager on my first day, he bought me a little notebook, and I, uh, I still remember. He said to me, he wants every shift, he wants me to come in with notes on a classic cocktail, like research and my interpretation of said classic. So my first one was daiquiri, and um, I'd done all these uh, pages of research on Jennings Cox and all of the kind of history behind the daiquiri and all this stuff. And I was just super excited. And um, I came in and I said, look, I, I've done all this this research. Like, I've got my own recipe that I've spent like all night thinking about and developing. And he, he said, what is it? I said, so it's rum, strawberry liqueur, lime juice, and sugar. And he was like, sounds delicious, but you know, it's, 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 it's a strawberry daiquiri. <laughs> <laughs> so I made it and it was the sweetest thing on earth. But uh-huh. that was my first kind of like creation of a cocktail and mm. it, it felt just so good to do and so I was so creative and at the time I was swamped with coursework and I was just I, I was I just going to ask you how did I, this affect yeah, your studies I, I mean I was enjoying work like doing the architecture stuff as well um, but it, I think it just like became quite apparent to me that bars were more for me and um, yeah just through like bits of work experience and I ended up making coffees for people and in offices rather than actually like being creative like my course had taught me to and I just thought like this is just not what it's what it was made out to mm-hmm. me to be you're not creative at all you're just you're within the confines of you know a box of what some builder says you have to do so I guess I just longed for that creativity and I just found that naturally through bars Mm -hmm. did you ever think both of you that oh wait this is something where I could have a true career and Mm, I I think for me I always did but I think that's lent itself a lot from seeing what my parents have done Mm -hmm. Um, and they they were amazing they were always really supportive of me um, not going to university and I think they've always been really understanding that you can make a career out of hospitality. Whereas I know I was the only only person from my um, sixth form I remember to not go to university. Oh and um, it was a really, really big adjustment at 18. Um, and it was hard to explain to my friends what I was doing. I guess it's never really been something that, as an 18-year-old, you could never say to your teacher, like, oh, I'm going to pursue a career in bars. Like At the time, I never, ever... No, I guess you didn't either dream of would be in a position where we're yeah, 23 and 26 with a consultancy business and our own bottle of cocktails. Mm-hmm. So I guess you can't, you, you can't perceive that as an 18-year-old, but like, I think I always, I always knew that my career would be in, in hospitality, I think. Especially maybe because you're outside of London as well. Yeah. Because here, even just, I mean, you're not so far away from 18, mm-hmm. that here things were happening and probably yeah. there were brand ambassadors here that you might not have met and and saw even five years ago oh wait that could potentially be what I have but yeah. because you're in the country side yeah, you know I it's mean, not it was, or in the city that's outside yeah. of London yeah. it may not be oh yeah oh there's that possibility I mean did you did you think did your was your family like oh my god he's not going to be an architect now yeah I, I remember um going back and sort of telling them that I you know I was going to not pursue my my course and, mm. and I wasn't going to stay for the full seven years and do that and and I was going to just kind of work in bars and be a bartender and I I remember I was so scared I went back and it took me like four hours to tell them mm-hmm. and I was just about to leave and I was like right I'm, I'm, I'm going to go I'll, I'll see you later and I, I got up and I started to walk towards the door and I just said like I need to tell them and I just turned around and I said to them like look I'm, I'm really sorry I know that like I know that because my mum had been such a big help she'd Mm -hmm. done all my paperwork and she'd Mm -hmm. helped me get like finance through the government and stuff and she'd she'd gone to all this trouble and I just said I'm really sorry like I I, it's not my passion I don't I don't want to do this anymore and um like they both just kind of looked at each other and looked at me and they were like well it's not what you want to do then like it's not what you want to do like, don't don't worry oh, about yeah, it. That must have been such a relief. Yeah, but I, you know, I just thought that I had it in my head. I think that that they were going to be really disappointed in me mm-hmm. if I didn't pursue it. And and actually, I think that they were relieved 
when I told them because I think they knew that I wasn't happy. Mm. And um, I guess I I just um, won like a big national competition and been taken to the states by Buffalo Trace. And it was just like the most. I love how you just glided over that. We're going to go back to that in a second. All right. You know, I kind of. I was working in a bar in Nottingham, and I had I had this competition that I did. I won. It was my first big competition, and uh, they flew me over to the states. And I'd never been stateside before, so it was just like, you know, I remember they, you know, those like big novelty checks. (laughs) Yeah. It was like one of those, but an airline ticket, Uh and they brought it out, and I was like. You're going to Kentucky. I was so just like scared, but like excited, and there was just the, all these overwhelming f- feelings. And I think that kind, that trip, that that connection with industry, and I met Hamish from Class Bar Mag there. I met so many other influencers and so many like people in the industry on that trip. And I think I, at that moment, I was just like, okay, that maybe there's more to just maybe there's more to this industry than just being in a bar in Leicester making some drinks. Well, back to the first competition. Yeah. When you thought I'm gonna, uh, and then we'll get to your competitions. Mm-hmm. In a sec. Um, when I'm I'm gonna enter this, um, this I guess Buffalo Trace competition. Yeah. Did you feel that all of a sudden you were that, like that first job doing that research on that first you know strawberry daiquiri? Yeah. Um, I mean, how I did think... you approach it for the first time? So I'd I'd done a few like local competitions before, and I was winning quite a few. So it gave me like a real confidence boost. And that was in Leicester. And then I moved to Nottingham and I hadn't really done any competitions because I'd moved to cities and I'd, I'd moved to a bar that was well above my skill level. And I'd just, for six months, I'd just like hunkered down, was grafting through, just like trying to catch up and learn and being as good as the other bartenders. And this competition came around and it looked like something that I would be interested in I really like Buffalo Trace as a liquid I think it's delicious and I just kind of tried to create a drink that was representative of my style and my background but also kind of pushing the boundaries of what I thought drinking was so I mean well what did you think drinking was well like at the time there wasn't many bars in the Midlands doing like the stuff that we do now in mm-hmm. in London with rotary evaporators and infusions and sous vides and all these wonderful machines, um, and the bar that I was working in had this equipment, so it was really um, and and they, it was weird because they were quite controlling over the equipment; they wouldn't let you use it, and you had to have like you had to be a certain level in the bar team to to be allowed into the back of house area. It was super weird, but. Because I'd worked so hard, I'd been allowed to progress up through the bar team into this position where I could then go and do the prep and, and learn the equipment. So I'd made a like a hay syrup, and at, at the time I thought it was like groundbreaking. You know, I'd, I'd infused hay into water and then turned it into a syrup, and it was like grassy and woody and oaky and delicious. And I made like a New York sour with hay syrup, and I. Instead of red wine, I just put a vermouth float on it, and mm. I served it in a martini glass, and it was dusted with chocolate and <laughs> garnished with a feather. And, I, <laughs> and I, I'd linked it all to this like love story between um, Daniel Boone, who was the founder of um, Lee's Town in. Uh, you really did your American yeah, history research. I, I just yeah, I kind of like really got in, got into it, and uh-huh. I I really liked that part of like bringing like kind of bringing creative stories and like linking them to brands Mm -hmm. even if the stories aren't true I mean this story wasn't true it was about a love note that went down a river but it wasn't true Mm -hmm. but I think it was just like more for me it was just about that creative process and being like fun with the drinks and um, I remember I did my competition I was so nervous I dropped my spoon um, and I served the drink it was on a plank of wood with (laughs) um, like a bell jar with hay burning under it and I put it, the bell jar over it stopped the flames and created smoke and then I lifted it up and it was like smoky all around the room and everyone was like oh my god <laughs> and um, yeah I, I left the bar thinking like I, I've screwed this up, I've not won and I sat there and I got really drunk oh because you dropped a spoon you yeah, thought you didn't yeah. win? I got uh-huh. really really hammered I just sat there, I must have had like 10 beers whilst this competition was Wait. going on and I remember I sat at the bar head down 
they were announcing the winners they got third place up second place up and they said this the the winner uh, served his drink on a board and I was the only person to serve you were like who, who like, did what? the other board yeah what what <laughs> and uh, I, I could almost cry when they brought me up and, um, so you had that under your belt when you told your family, okay, architecture's yeah, so not really for me. I so think, they had actually seen you create yeah. something and win. Yeah, but I think that even now, like, um, even after other competitions and various other accomplishments, I think now they still struggle a little bit to understand the industry for mm-hmm. what it is, rather mm-hmm. than just, like, someone pouring pints. Yeah, And I think that's just their disconnection with hospitality because they don't really go out that much they've got we've got quite a big family um they've got like a lot of kids so they i don't think that they truly understand like the cocktail industry as as much as perhaps eleanor's parents do Mm -hmm. um but they're still super understanding and supportive um but i think you know perhaps when we open our own place i think they might understand a little bit more but but you have yeah. product, but we'll we'll talk about that in yeah. a second. Now, Eleanor, when did you start realizing that you had this this art for crafting new cocktails? Um, I still don't really think there's been a an actual like solid moment for me where I'm like, ah, oh, I think I just my creative process is just I think ongoing. Like I remember being in the Midlands, and it's actually how me and me and Charles met was oh, through through a competition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, I won, but <laughs> no, it was. Um, well, why did you start even competing? Uh, so this was, I think, for me, competitions were always something I just was never really, really into, um, and it was something that I just didn't have probably the confidence for. I think um, purely from working I think in a bar and then I kind of I always felt a little bit on the back foot because I worked for my dad and I was never sure I got promoted up to bar manager there um and I think there was always quite a bit of not animosity everybody there was was really really lovely but it was just there was never the validation for me I don't think that like I'd earned the job from being good it was just kind of a progression that I I guess you had to prove yourself even more yeah to the people who work there yeah um but yeah, we did um, a sales competition, so it was, it wasn't. I didn't have to go up and present a drink in front of a, a room full of people, which at the time I was only like nineteen. It, like, well, no, how old would I have been? Twenty. Twenty. Yeah, um, and it, the idea just like terrified me. So um, we did a we did a sales competition with um, it was with Hudson Whiskey actually, wasn't it? And um, that was the same thing, I think. I saw that the prize was a trip to New York and I'd been before and I fell in love with New York. It was, at the time, it was somewhere where I, I considered moving to um, and I just, I loved the city. Um, so we started off this sales competition in the bar and um, the bar that Charles was working in Nottingham, he was managing as well. They had started doing the, the same competition and we had, um, the, our rep for the area was brilliant and um, he kind of kept like, Bang us against each other in terms of like they were Charles Bar was one bottle ahead of us, so we'd like order in like ten cases and make sure they didn't win. <laughs> I mean, strangely, he would tell them the volumes that we were doing, but not us the volumes <laughs> that they were doing. So he get him in trouble. <laughs> we we sat and and we had a meeting with him, and he said like you know with your volumes, we were doing tons of bottles. He said with your volumes, you'll crush this competition and you'll definitely go to New York. So then when Eleanor's bar came out on top, I mean, I remember the day of the... What a great sales, the, the end of the competition. Um, we we kind of... Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Like, I've got this in the bag. Don't need to worry about it. And he sent me through an email, like, saying, thanks for all your efforts, but you weren't successful. <laughs> you didn't win. And I was like, who the hell has beat us? Like, there's no one Had you met Midlands. before? I was, we kind of knew of each other and briefly met I think just yeah. from like popping into bars or like being around the industry together in the Midlands at like training sessions and stuff um, and then it was we properly met when I found out we'd won and I went into his bar purely to gloat <laughs> and it was we'd been on, on a day out in Nottingham with our rep all day we'd all had quite a lot to drink and Charles's bar was the last stop um, and yeah I remember all sitting there and Charles like knew who we were and came over and like made a point of 
telling us about his menu and stuff like that and um because yeah, you had something to prove, and, and obviously, no, and right? Being very nice and comping your very girl. hospitable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I just had a few drinks and took it upon myself to just gloat a bit at him because we were this tiny little pub in the countryside, and the the bar Charles managing at, managing at the time was probably one of the one of the best venues in in the Midlands. See, she's still gloating. I'm still yeah. gloating. <laughs> I'm not over it. Um, but yeah, I think that was maybe the first time that I thought, oh, like this is again the same I think with you like these trips that brands put on I think it really for people outside of London especially I think I mean I've never grown up in London so I don't know that side of it but I think it just kind of really shows that it is a really exciting career to have like you can travel the world like even since we've been we've been doing the consultancy we've traveled all over the place and it's been amazing um so yeah I think that was when we realised that we'd like won that sales competition and we beat bars like the Duck and Waffle and places that you were really had on this pedestal and it was just like really exciting and then yeah I think moving to London not not long after that and then starting to work in award winning venues I think I was just getting like even more surrounded by creative processes and so you all got together relatively soon after that well Actually, the first time we kind of met, we we were both in relationships, and I think Eleanor's. We don't have to get too intimate. Yeah, here. no. Just yeah, trying to yeah. bring you both together. No, no, no. Yeah, sure. I don't, um, I don't really want to mention that. But yeah, I I kind of uh, a few months later, I think we like Eleanor had liked one of my photos on Instagram or something, and I, oh, I just dropped Instagram, her a message and said the like, matchmaker oh, slid into the DMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you both did you or should I say did you both decide to move to London together? Um, yeah, so we'd met. Um, we'd like kind of started speaking again, and um, we decided to meet up. And I think we both from day one realized that we just had the same passion, um, and it was with bars and drinks and. We would just we'd go on a date and we'd just be talking about like bars and stuff the whole time. And we just we realised it was this real like connection that we had. Um, and we'd I'd done some travelling before. I think you hadn't had you, and you were quite quite eager. We were like keen to see a bit of Asia and see a lot more of like different cultures before. I think we decided to actually move somewhere together. And bearing in mind that we'd only been dating a few weeks at this point, <laughs> I think we just knew from the beginning. Uh-huh. Like I without meaning to sound soppy I just knew that like I didn't want to be with anyone else and uh, we it's uh, Valentine's Day by the way yeah exactly (laughs) this may not be produced on Valentine's Day but everyone should know that so yay so I I just um, I guess I I I sort of was becoming a little unhappy and a little cold footed in my job I just Mm. wanted to do something else I was Mm. getting like a little bit bored and um I said to Eleanor, I said, if I if I quit my job and just like throw in the towel, would you come travelling with me? And she said, yeah. Mm. It was actually how long, two or three years ago today. Yeah. So how long did you travel? Where did you go? So we, we, did. we came down to London. <laughs> oh. So we came to London for Valentine's. Yeah. Um, when we when we'd first met and. Um, we Charles had checked in on on Facebook. Um, we were at Peg and Patriot, and um, Matt, who owned it at the time, was um, met, messaged Charles back on Facebook and said, "Oh, do you want to come for a chat?" And so we we were kind of like set on going travelling, and then we met up. Well, you met with Matt for a chat, didn't you? And um, Matt offered Charles a job at Scout, which was opening, and um, we both kind of. We were sat in some Pancras station, weren't we, about to head home. And um, we just decided, we were like, oh no, this is... We both wanted to move to London eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think we both just took that as our kind of opportunity some... to come down and yeah. move. And It was something that we'd spoken in lengths about before, about moving to London and, and making a career down here. And maybe even eventually opening a bar here. Um, but I just never imagined that it would come so soon. And off of someone else's back as well I thought it would be me chasing people for jobs and I think um, I didn't realise perhaps to what extent Matt was known in the industry and I I went and met this guy that I'd never really spoken to much before and um, we chatted and I just really liked the sound of the bar and and the things that he was pushing like sustainability and 
local foraged <coughs> ingredients, etc., etc. And so, yeah, I just said to Eleanor, like, okay, so I, you, you kind of accepted my proposition to go travelling. Like, how would you feel about moving to London with me? Travelling to London. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so we moved in not long after that, did we? Mm-hmm. So. God, it was like days after, wasn't it? We yeah. had to come and find a flat. Yeah, everything moved just really quickly, but, you know, I think we both knew that it was the right thing to do. And uh, we moved down to London into a horrible, horrible apartment. <laughs> it was gross. Um, but it got but at the time, we thought it was amazing because it was just, we were living in London, we were living right next to King's Cross, and we were like, wow, this is amazing. Like, yeah. a couple of months in, we realised it was horrible and we had to leave. But It was underneath <laughs> a chicken shop, and you'd hear the rats running across oh, the Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to Not funny. It wasn't nice, was it? Um, Let's talk about the yeah. nice stuff. So... So you're at Scout and doing the Scouty thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when did you think, or or what was the progression to really starting Liquid Intellect? You know, were you, obviously you were creating cocktails, but they were cocktails for Scout, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, how did that progress to you doing cocktails for, you know, privately and mm-hmm. so for other businesses? Interestingly, we... We'll go back to the the Buffalo Trace competition. Mm. Um, now, on the way home from that trip, I sat next to uh, Stephen Kersley, the master distiller of Lone Wolf, and he was telling me about this project that he was going to do in in the next coming years. And um, I, you know, I said, "Oh, it sounds great." And he said, "You know, like he'd watched the competition, and he said, would you be interested in doing like the perfect serves for the for the gin and stuff?'" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Like this was like years before mm-hmm. and I just kind of thought nothing of it and, and I'd moved to London We'd, I'd started working at Scout Eleanor had started working at, over at Nightjar and um, so I got a message one day from this guy saying hey like do you remember me from the plane like years ago um, just done the first kind of distillation of our gin do you want to come and try it like come to Aberdeen and try it so I went up to Aberdeen, tried the gin, had a really nice couple of days in, in Scotland, came back down and the um, the MD of the company got in touch with me and said, would you be interested in writing um, some perfect service for it and doing some stuff? So Eleanor and I wrote the, the drinks for that and that's kind of how everything started really. Mm. Um, and that first job, I guess, was, um, it was our first kind of consultancy that we'd done. So we didn't have a website we didn't have an online database we didn't have we didn't know how to invoice we we didn't really know how everything w- was working and and kind of what we were doing whether we were just going to be you know two people doing some drinks or um and liquid intellect had always been my instagram name and it just kind of seemed to really kind of fit the the, the style of drinks that we were going to be putting together so i think that just was kind of how it evolved and it was clear to both of us from the from meeting that we were going to do something together so mm. you know the consultancy the bottle cocktails when we open a bar it will both be mm. or it will all be together mm. so. so more and more people started to ask you yeah I think it was we'd, we'd done little bits kind of separately like as favours for friends or people asked for help with writing menus or we, we'd always been kind of involved in stuff like that hadn't we yeah. really like just before moving and then when we moved um yeah and then I think Lone Wolf was the first like I guess like job that Liquid Intellect did and then from there we just kind of learned a little bit more each time we worked with other people um like we've had like we've made mistakes on the way like we've learned so much along the way like we had no no idea how to set up a business mm-hmm. and we had to do it so quickly um and just learn all that by doing it ourselves, really. And how long do you think it took you before you're like, okay, I got this whole business thing. Yeah. We are now are, are <laughs> I mean, still today. a work on progress. Still I a work in progress. A, a big t- like with the consultancy, I think mm. it was pretty simple with like invoicing, and then we got into the swing of that quite quickly. I yeah. think and like delivering a, a good service to people, um, and we could tell that from having like repeat work and stuff. So I think we got into that quite quickly. I think it was um, really, really a big test of how to 
set up a business and stuff when we decided to do the bottle cocktails that was a lot more of um we had to get like an awrs license which we had no idea what it was well so you hold on before we get into bottle cocktails before um so you're busy doing these Mm -hmm. these you know the the perfect serves and the menus Mm -hmm. what was kind of the lightning bolt moment for hey we should be doing a product we should do bottled cocktails so we got um, contacted by um, a big supermarket in uh, 2017. Yeah. Um, the back end of that year, and they already had a couple of like cocktails in bottle that they did, um, and they were looking for some kind of more interesting flavors to release for 2018 Christmas. Um, so they brought us on board as consultants to develop some recipes for them. And um, we started creating some some drinks which could be bottled and starting to think about that more of... Because when we're thinking about drinks for bars, it was, you know, pe- people are making them on the spot, whereas something in bottle, there's a lot more that goes mm. into, like, keeping it and stuff like that. So we started to work with that idea. Um, we'd created six recipes for them, hadn't we? And then we saw them get released uh, kind of, like, autumn last year. And they just got so much attention and everyone was buying them like they were flying off the shelves they and sold out just... within like three days didn't they mm-hmm. One it of was crazy yeah. and um you're like wait a we sec. were looking at it yeah. and we were just wait like it, we can we can do that but under our own name i think right. like we can be getting the benefit of of, of doing that so i think it was just a natural a natural progression i, I think it, as well for them it. we had to be very conscious of not using uh techniques that might be a little bit too out there mm-hmm. so you know we weren't redistilling for example donuts into into gin or, or chicken dumplings or chicken dumplings as you've been known to do <laughs> so I think um, you know for them we had to be very you know creating cocktails that were easy to bottle and easy to do and easy so for people to liters. understand yeah exactly yeah. you know when so they're buying them I think when we decided you know like I think we should do this for ourselves and it was an ongoing conversation for a long time about how we were going to do it the sort of products that we were going to be putting out the 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 standard of products and how they were going to be delivered the packaging the the bottles were they going to be ready to drink were Mm -hmm. they going to require a process were they we had so many meetings so many um you know discussions about how we were going to develop these recipes and I think in the end, um, it just came down to being fun and just ha- like, you know, just letting ourselves just not stress about it and do mm. flavors that, you know, I could smash like 10 jam donuts as a kid. So was that your first, your first flavor that you thought of for yourselves? Jam donut was the first, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think, I think that was the first one. Um, followed very closely by cookie dough wasn't it yeah excuse the ignorance for an american (laughs) jam donut i assume that is and the assumption could be wrong raspberry inside exactly okay Um, just check strawberry 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 again you harsh back to your strawberry isn't that interesting yeah Yeah, exactly yeah Yeah, the first you know (laughs) yeah yeah daiquiri the first one yeah it's gonna be strawberry so i think um, strawberry i I think we just um were very keen on delivering because it working both on consultancy and doing more interesting drinks like you mentioned the chicken dumpling martini that gets us fired up that that keeps us excited it keeps Mm. us pushing and keeps us being innovative but I think when you put that into a supermarket people would just be like that's gross yeah yeah I don't think there'd be many sales yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, they were always created weren't they with really our parents in mind like that kind of like they're not like, well, like you were saying, like your mum, my mum doesn't drink cocktails at all. Like she's been involved in hospitality, but she just doesn't drink spirits or cocktails. So I think it was, their aim was to create something which even someone who didn't really drink cocktails or didn't maybe know what what a cocktail was could pick it up, pick it up off the shelf and drink it at home. So people know what a jam donut is. Yeah. Right. So that, people know oh. what a Negroni is. So it's kind of, um, you know, these we picked the cocktails that we were going to bottle very carefully alongside flavors that would work well with that classic and also flavors that would work very well on their own as a product. So we were very keen to create a cocktail that had 
a very recognisable name that people could understand the flavour of just from reading the four words on the front of the bottle. So what are the four words of the jam donut one? Jam donut Negroni. Okay. Well, three words. Three words. <laughs> um, <laughs> cookie dough old-fashioned for the cookie dough, uh, pina colada punch, and um, we have a banana bread Manhattan as well, which is, yeah. Oh my God, they really, all sound so delicious. Delicious, yeah. <laughs> so I think, when, like I said, we were just kind of just trying to get those flavours to be understood by just reading the words mm-hmm. like very very simple very very easy to understand and that's kind of what drove our our kind of bottled cocktail vision forward was just mm-hmm. creating something that was just easy to understand simple but delicious and giving people an introduction as to what style of drinks that we do so we're mm-hmm. still using the centrifuge we're still using our rotary evaporator um, we're still doing all the molecular stuff but we're doing it in a more accessible way I guess Mm -hmm. so yeah so I think that it's time that I have to try the cookie dough old fashioned Mm -hmm. yeah can we go open a bottle yeah sure yeah thanks so much to Charles and Eleanor for meeting me at Hercules the bar in Soho where you can find their bottled cocktails and try all of their fabulous creations as it was Valentine's Day when we met I asked them to give me a pinkish cocktail to remember the day by They didn't disappoint, and now it's time for our Cocktail of the Week. Don't scream when you hear this recipe. It's almost impossible to make at home unless you have the correct machinery, which some of you might have. It has a cheeky name, and here are Charles and Eleanor to describe it. Boys to the Yard is probably the biggest seller at Hercules. It's it's essentially a strawberry G&T. Again, Um, strawberries! Yeah, I know, like crazy. (laughs) Uh, Strawberries are delicious. I don't know why people don't put them in drinks more. They're (laughs) they're fantastic. But we, um, I guess with that one, it was delivering, relating back to the bottles as well. Everything that we're doing now is more aimed at giving guests a simple experience that they can digest very easily. But if they want to know the, the complex background to each drink, they can. Um, we don't force that on them. We don't tell them that it's distilled and centrifuge. We we deliver a drink that's delicious and they can drink it and leave or they can drink it and have five more. But, you know, they don't have to be involved with the process, but they can be. So that one, um, the, the name inspired by the song, boy, uh, My Milkshake Brings All the Boys oh, to the Yard. I love that little, like, jig you did. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of have to. In, I, I think anyone reciting that song has has yeah, the involuntary exactly. yeah. jiggle. Yes. So yeah, I guess we we were we were looking at like strawberry milkshake, the flavors of strawberry milkshake, and just converting that into a like a fizzy, uplifting, summery, fresh uh, drink. And and it was one of those drinks that we'd have probably taken off for the winter menu and replaced it with something a bit more like clementine or something a bit more. Um, savory or something a bit more wintry but it was one of those drinks that was just in such high demand we just couldn't remove it so it stayed on the menu all year and probably would never come off the menu (laughs) um so what do you do to the strawberry well so the strawberry um so we we use tanqueray gin as the base Mm. um we distill the strawberry in the rotary evaporator so it's essentially making like a strawberry water. So we blend the strawberries up and put them in the in the still, and we distill all of the the liquid out of the strawberry pulp, and you leave behind all of that like mush. That the mush is then put into the centrifuge, and we make the garnish out of the the waste. Um, and then we also put strawberry juice in the centrifuge, and we centrifuge it so it still has the the texture and the and the colour of strawberry juice but it's you can see through it it's still red it's quite difficult to describe on on a podcast I guess but we then make that into a shrub with some vinegar and some sugar um, and then we age tonic water in cedar wood um, which just gives like a I'm going to say a pencil shavings aroma which sounds like something like a sommelier would say but um <laughs> It just kind of really complements the strawberry very well. And it's very subtle, but it's really, really tasty. And then it's all blended together and carbonated. And we just serve it from a bottle. Very, very simple. Yeah. So, the boys to the yard is our cocktail of the week. 
There are only four ingredients. The first is easy. 50 mLs of Tanqueray 10. Then 10 mLs of homemade strawberry shrub. 100 mLs of homemade cedar and strawberry tonic. And finally, 0.01 gram of E202 potassium sorbate. For the strawberry shrub, blend the strawberries with a pectinex, which is an enzyme that breaks down pectin, at 50 degrees for 10 minutes. Transfer to a centrifuge and spin for 30 minutes at 4,000 RPM. Combine the clarified strawberry juice with apple cider vinegar and sugar at a ratio of 3 to 1 to 2. For the cedar and strawberry tonic, blend the strawberries with Pectinex at 50 degrees for 10 minutes. Then transfer to a distillation flask and distill at 40 degrees until all the liquid has distilled to the collection flask. Whilst the strawberry juice is distilling, add one liter of tonic water to the ultrasonic homogenizer with a burnt stave of cedar wood. Blast on full power for 10 minutes. Once infused, combine the cedar wood tonic with the distilled strawberry juice in a ratio of one to one. Then add the potassium sorbate. I know, it's only a bit of fun, and it's the reason to come on down to Hercules at 7 Greek Street in London. If this was way too much to comprehend, you know you'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Next time, we head down south to Kentucky to do some urban bourbon trailing, even visiting the bar that is rumored to have invented the old-fashioned. Before running off to try some, remember to head to alushlifemanual.com backslash merch for all your Lush Life gifts. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast. For more information and links to everything you've heard, plus a whole lot more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. The music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your drinking partner, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.